You're listening to You Don't Know Nick, the podcast, a podcast that explores the generational differences from Zoomers to Boomers as it relates to what's going on today. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Jessica Lynn Verde. And I'm Alex Mitchell. I know a lot about Middle Earth. Yeah, and I know that there were some rings or something. We're the hosts of the Podcast of the Rings. Join us as we deep dive into the lore of Middle Earth and cover the topics and people you might want to know about before the Rings of Power premieres on Amazon Prime, September 2nd. After that, we'll be doing an episode-by-episode recap and analysis once the series is live. Listen for a new episode every Tuesday. And until then, may our roads meet again. Hi, Mike. Welcome to You Don't Know Nick. Hi, Jess. Glad to be here you, on You Don't Know you, Nick. You bullied your way onto. I did. I was like, <laughs> hey, hey, when are we going hey, to be on your hey, show? When? when? Can I be when? on? To, to your credit, David. A. Goodman also said, I'll be on your podcast. Oh, so, I, I think everybody we interviewed from the Orville is smitten with you. They didn't, oh, they I don't didn't, know if it has anything to do with They didn't say like, hey, that. Mike, we should get together and do a podcast. But they're all like, hey, Jess, can I be on yours? <laughs> yeah, that's part of my insidious charm, Mike, is to make, I, I overwhelm people. <laughs> it's true. With, 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 I make them feel like they're the most important person in the world in that moment. Oh, and you do such a good job of it. I'm so glad because the truth is of the matter it is a genuine reality but uh I people used to call me the fake dress at Ooh, the I restaurant that I, okay I which is not true like I, right so I would like they they I when they when they told me why they called me the fake dress I, like this was like people I knew from high school who just happened to come into the same restaurant uh-huh. that I worked at and like oh Jessica you didn't know we called you the fake dress which is not that clever, by the way. But I would be at the table like, oh, my God, what do you guys want? It's so nice to see you. Ha, ha. And like the second I would turn away, my cat is absolutely touching every single key on the keyboard right now, which is fine. Everything is great. So I would turn away. And the second I would turn away, my face would go blank, like like just like I was sleeping, essentially. <laughs> well- and so they thought I was faking it, but when in reality I was on, and then now I don't have to be on. I, I agree with you 100%. And, and who is more important than the person you're talking to at the time that you're having a conversation with? Um, I just spent a weekend with with a friend at a car show, and people come up to you and talk to you about your car. And usually they do a lot more talking than listening. And I told my buddy, I said, all I'm going to do this whole weekend is just ask questions. I'm not going to wow. try to add. I'm not going to try to converse. I'm not going to try to have a back and forth because it is pointless. So I'll just go, oh, man, that's really great. How long did you have that? Man, that's awesome. Whatever happened to it? And if they asked me a question, I'd answer it real quick and then turn it around. Because what I learned early on is that there's no talking to these folks. They just want to talk at you, uh-huh. and then they want to leave. Uh-huh. So just treat them like they're the most important person in the world in front of you. Because at that time, who else is? They're right in front of you, and they're talking to you. And you're electing to stay in that conversation as well. So, like, you can either excuse yourself from the conversation and not partake in that. Oh, I did that, too. (laughs) Well, I believe it. But my point is, like, they're the most important person if you're deciding to be in that moment. Right. Essentially. So how was that thought experiment? What was that like? What was your takeaway? At at some point, you just really had to throw, like, a well anyway in there. Or, mm. or some sort of a, uh, hey, nice talking to you, or, 
hey, thanks for coming out, or hey, there's gonna you're gonna miss a lot of other stuff. Um, th- there had to be some sort of manufactured conclusion to it, um, or else it just would have gone on and on and on. Learning how to excuse yourself from a conversation is an art form, and I don't even know if I have it right, but boy, I just love doing it. It's like, well, actually, I don't love doing it. I love that I can do it. Right. I, it always feels awkward in the moment to be like, hey, I'm going to go get chips over there. I know we're both going to be at the same party for another two hours, but mm-hmm. I'm done here. And I'm just going to walk two feet over there. Bye. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally, I will say those things in so many words to people so that I can stop talking to them. Um, but I'm more curious about what how first of all everyone that you talk to if you maintained that dude the question guy thinks you're the coolest person on the planet because you cared so much about them and asked them a million questions how did that experience like did you die inside did you want to talk to them about things or well what was it like it was funny because people would ask you a question and then often not give you really much of a chance to respond right right and because they're asking a question that they want you to ask them right so at that point, I just sort of would would answer pretty quickly. But I think what happened w- was that I was very – I became sort of a safe haven for this person to speak with uh, because they got to just rattle off as much as they wanted, tell me everything about themselves. Some of these people came up to me and did the same thing a year ago, told me about the same car same they have in their garage, thing. same exact conversation. And I just thought, okay, that's great. Right. What are you, when are you going to do something with it? And I would try to be encouraging and say something like, well, get to work on that thing, man. I want to see it out here next year. You know, what's it going to take to get it running? And they would tell me, you know, then they would go on and on and on about that. But um, overall, it was very much a, a weekend of talking to or listening to know-it-alls. And mm. it was not honest, honest to goodness. It was just not a ton of fun. But yeah. when I realized that there was not, you know, there was really not going to be a two way conversation to be had. I just kind of told my buddy, I'm just I'm just going to listen and ask questions because there's right. no way to get a word in with this crowd. There's just not. <sighs> I definitely was. I was them up until, you know, my late 20s and even into my early 30s and maybe into my mid 30s I was them who loved to talk about myself and seem I don't and I don't know what I I mean I, you know I got enough therapy to know that I definitely have a penchant of wanting to be validated and accepted and and liked but and, talking about myself is is one of my biggest crutches or curses and i was there as well and it was just it, i think there's a natural tendency to try to find common ground with somebody mm-hmm. so you want to totally, talk about totally talk about fair. talk about what you what you've done and your experiences and find that common ground there's and you want to help people and too. you want people Sometimes to you want to yeah, yeah and you want people to like you so you want you know you want to talk about you know things about yourself and i mean i get it i've been there i've i have been the person that have driven other people crazy most of my life and probably even all of my life um but i just uh it was it was honest honestly it was a conversational technique um that got recommended to me once by uh, by a coworker, and I just thought, okay, this is the perfect avenue to try it because I'm just surrounded by, you know, a bunch of double A plus overachiever control freaks, and I'm just gonna sit back and and let them talk because 
the conversation's only going to go one way anyway. You're, I mean, and they're the most disenfranchised people, right? These middle-aged white mm-hmm. men <laughs> having a really hard time in the world. And boy, they really need someone to listen to them, but, Mike. But, so. but, you know, my people are so persecuted, Jess. It is. <laughs> <laughs> the struggle. The struggle is real. You know, and it's so interesting. Uh, I've heard a few times. From white men to be like, well, you know, it's I'm a white man in Hollywood now. And it's a glib response to how working in Hollywood is. But it is like you can tell that those locker room conversations that you hear men talk about, quote unquote, mm-hmm. they really are lamenting how much harder it is and how much more accountable they have to be because they are white and middle aged or a man or whatever. Uh, and I'm not I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm saying it's a bad thing. And and then these people joke about it like, oh, well, you know, I'm a white man. So it's hard right now for me. And and we can turn it around and joke about it. But in reality, you can when people say that, I can see that they're still processing. They're testing the waters with me to see if I can go. I know. Right. It's so hard for you guys. Like just by being white, they're seeing if I'm going to actually empathize or if we're going to joke about them am i being clear about you, what i'm saying you sure you're being clear with me because i i you know I, I work with um you know and and spend time with these folks more than i want to uh yes. but, but and we've you, talked about this offline and stuff sure like that a little and, bit. and you hear the um the sort of lamenting that well, if we want to treat people fairly, how come I'm not being being treated fairly anymore? Everybody's picking on me now. And it's like, well, I think for the first time in your life, uh, there's a certain amount of accountability and people aren't just going along with your uh, with your BS. They're actually holding you accountable for it and they're calling you on it. It feels like you're being picked on when you're really not. Um, right. What's kind of disheartening to me is that you know, I would go to these car shows and there would be, you know, you have the 80 year olds, right? And these are the guys that like bought these muscle cars back in the 60s when they were in their teens and they were rebellious and they were young and they were, they wanted something, you know, new and different. And, you know, then they became 80 year olds. And they're the guys out shouting at the wind about kids these days and how everything has changed and how they don't understand things and how we just need to go back to how things used to be. Then the other big demographic at these shows are the 50-year-olds, right? The kids of the 80-year-olds, the kids who, you know, got the car from their dad when they were in high school and restored it or drove it or, you know, got it after the old man croaked. Um, but whatever. But now the 50-year-olds are starting to sound like the 80-year-olds. And that that started to happen really just, I think, in the last year or two. And it was, you know, everything was pretty much canceled the, the summer of 2020, you know, every major right, car show event. Right, so when right. we kind of started to reconvene in 2021, now all of a sudden it's, you know, there's there's this political divide that's kind of gotten entrenched into it. And there's this, um, you know, uh, again, this this just sense of of things changing unnecessarily and just this big anti not even progressive just anti-progress movement right. of you know the of now the 50 year olds who are starting to sound like the 80 year olds so anyway that's uh that was that was what i did last weekend what did you do well, i think <laughs> i i think i just played video games mike i really you. do here's the best part we've done 10 minutes of this podcast and people have no idea who the fuck you are and i think i <laughs> 
love doing this, even though I'm like, I'm like consciously thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, audiences must not want this. They must like, well, who is this fucking guy? Why are we talking? But at the same time, I kind of love it where it's like, eh, you, don't know, you don't get to know. I might add at the top, like, this is Mike Richards. Good luck. But Mike, who the heck are you? Well, uh, First and foremost, I identify as your co-host on Mission Log the Orville, uh, which we do for uh, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. I love that. Um, uh, beyond that, uh, let's see. I've, we talked about my car hobby epitaph, a little bit. Or an epitaph, epithet? I can't ever say it right. Sure. It's Ep- like Mike, the co-host of Jessica Richards. That's it. That's that's what I am. Uh, beyond that, I've got a, a car hobby, which I like the cars. Um <sighs> the people are getting a little bit uh a little bit frustrating yeah it's fresh on your mind and yeah sure is and then uh a full-time job i work as a as an airline pilot um for a, a major u.s airline so i've been flying for a long time for about since i started my first flying lesson in 1986 whoa so yeah so that is uh that's that's probably most of your listeners probably weren't even born then that's venture not- to guess not true not true okay i don't think so i think um i mean this is a podcast where we were initially supposed to talk about generational differences that's true gen x and millennials right well yeah so the guy that i did with it's actually really not quintessential gen x he's closer to an older millennial or or, you know i had a guest on dr christopher bell a couple weeks ago and he is he was just blowing my mind. He said the way we talk about generations are is wrong uh to loop people into a group of 20 years is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Uh, micro generations are probably more where it's at. So uh, he said Zennial. We used to call Nick a Zennial, but he's right. Pro- yeah. He's in between a, a Gen X and a millennial. Yeah. And, and this guy said Zennials doesn't exist, but that's the pocket of time where Nick was born. Mm-hmm. So he definitely understands a Gen Xer, but it really Gen Xers were like their heyday was in the, 80s like or 80s and 90s anyway i'm not even gonna get it right but what we think is gen x is not gen x and i'm like a geriatric millennial (laughs) is what what they're calling it yeah so we have all sorts of listeners i guess is my point or hopefully we do because i'm gen x i mean i uh i got out of college right about 1990 right there and uh we were kind of that first generation that was coming out of school and there was this recession and things were kind of going backwards and we felt a little bit lost and um, it was a fantastic time to be alive. It, it really was. It was, I mean, you really, there was, you know, it didn't have that go, um, uh, you know, keeping up with everybody, including the Joneses feel that the eighties had, it was more of like a, Hey, let's just kind of take a gap year and figure out who the hell we are. And mm. that was really from like 92 to about 96, I think was probably, you know, the time in my life that I felt just most comfortable most comfortable with the music and the, you know, the very laid back fashion. And, you know, that was when workplaces started to get more casual and uh, management structures began to get more flat and just, just things really, really changed during that period of time to a lot of things that are including today. I mean, that was sort of the genesis of what we see today in the, in the world of technology too. Kind of all had its, I think, uh, uh, early stages then Um, where I, disagree with the whole generational thing and labeling this generation is one way and and another generation is another is because you don't stay that way your whole life. I mean, one of the things I worked on for a project, 
Um, I think it, honest to, God, to goodness, I think it was some research I did for Mission Log the Orville. Oh, okay. And we talked about like you workplace, told me about this. workplace oh, romances and stuff like oh, that I was well, looking at. So, you know, you look at, you know, the, the, the younger, the younger generation, whatever you want to call them, whether it's Gen Z or, um, you know, next you look at them gen, and, and they're like, all very, <laughs> you know, gen. willing to have workplace romances. Um, boomers are like, no, that's wrong. They shouldn't do that. Uh, don't dip your pen and company ink okay they're um, all fucking the secretary though, yeah whatever so. they're all and then you have you know myself you have gen, x, you which, have to... gen x is like we have no we have no real responsibility here whatsoever uh no opinion on things y'all y'all do you Jesus. um but what my what i've what i think what i what i hypothesize is that it has nothing to do with what generation you have it's what experience have you had and these people that are right out of school working you know alongside other people that are, you know, their age and young and attractive are very willing to date each other and have relationships because it hasn't ended badly yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the Gen X that are kind of like, yeah, you know, you got to be careful. And then you got the boomers that are like, no way will because I ever do that again because I've been exactly. through that and it's not working. So I think it's much, much more of an experiential thing than it is a what generation were you born in thing. That's a very, very good point. That we, it, I def, I shit in the company ink all the time. Because I guarantee these boomers were, you know, back, you know, when they had their sideburns and their turtlenecks and stuff like that. And they were listening to the monkeys that they were, uh, you know, working at their first company and that they were, you know, um, asking out the secretary or probably more likely sexually harassing the, the secretary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. I, and again, this is a huge generalization, but at the same time, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can't, you can't put humans in a room in, for an extended amount of period of time and not expect relationships to form of some kind or another. I often think about, <laughs> this is actually perfect for you when I'm on a plane. Right. I often think about. Okay, if we crash and we end up on an island and this turns into Lost, which one of these guys am I going to want to have sex oh, with? Hurley, all day, every day. Well, 100%. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to, who's the guy? Oh, no, I never, I didn't watch the show enough um, to, to remember, but I know one of the actors, but I don't know his name, so I'm not going to even try. Um, but... Like if you're if you're stranded on an island, you're definitely gonna mm -hmm. fall for somebody. And right. I there was a guy I worked with who from the moment I met him, I wasn't even hired. And he's like, hey, <laughs> and, and he was not my type, Mike, at all. And, but he was nice, and I loved right. get, like we we loved working together. It was fun, and he just kept on needling me, but not in a like lascivious, lecherous way. He just was. Mm -hmm charming all the time and really like what the <laughs> just Jessica never stopped sauce. working he he's ever and mike he fucking whittled me down and i went you know what i really like ab he's really kind of cool like, let's go and then we went on a date and then we made out and then we had sex and then he wasn't interested in me anymore oh shut up <laughs> i swear <laughs> to god and it, it, and I was like so mad because he made me interested in him. It's like you didn't even like him. I didn't even <laughs> like him. And just by being in close proximity, like 
I mean, to be fair, it was like it was my first time working at a restaurant where everyone was like young and hot and trying mm-hmm. to be actors and whatever. Um, there was a lot less drama and a lot less cocaine than most of those Bravo TV shows. Yeah. But there was definitely interconnectivity, relationship, blah, 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 blahs. And so there was there was always a guy that was like, I wonder, I wonder what Luke looks like naked or whatever. And, you know, you're just in the situation with these people so often you you it be it becomes a bond whether you can help it or not you know mere exposure effect you're more likely to trust mm-hmm. your um mailman than you know the person who is in front of you at, at, at the checkout because you see them every day right um so well your mind I'd, makes these connections I, I would like to say that i'm appalled by the guy that uh was very, uh, I would say, fastidious and determined, and uh, had a, had a good work ethic at his, you know, pursuit. Um, but I was no exactly, I was exactly the same way, man. Like I, I spent a oh, gosh. Um, I was, a, I was know, a tick on the belt. I, it, no, well, I mean, he. It, you, he I'm sure you were. Mo- I'm sure you were more than that. No, I, um, I was definitely not. <laughs> but I, was I definitely not. You know, all the way through my gosh, college, grad school, flight instructing. Um, you know, working at a restaurant in high school, uh, it was, I mean, there was always somebody you were either seeing or pursuing mm-hmm. like at all times. Like there was mm-hmm. never a time where I was like, you know, I'm just going to work on me. I'm just going to enjoy being single. I think I'm going to embrace celibacy. Like that was never my, that was never my strategy. So you were, I was just kind of always working something. Now, normally it wasn't okay. You know, uh, notch on the bedpost to move on. It was just kind of like things sort of ran their course and then you move right, on. Right, 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 right. So, but no one was thinking, let me find my wife. <laughs> Ooh. Now's the time for we me We will to have many down. children and yes, we will ex- be happy. Ex- exactly. Uh, but, but yeah, even um, Alex and I were talking about how like some people, and maybe you were like this, but like how some people are like, oh man, I'm so glad to be single again. Or like after a breakup, like that's their phraseology is, oh God, I'm so I'm ready to get back out there. And he's like, I've never understood why people say that. And I'm like, oh my God. And I, I actually get sad for people who say the opposite when they're in a relationship. Like, oh, I couldn't be in the dating pool ever again. Could you imagine being single again? I couldn't even do it. Like, almost staying attached because the idea of having to go find someone new was um by the way you don't need to be with anybody in order to be happy so that yeah the, the attachment itself is a problem but yeah i i think that if you are there's so like there's somebody out there for everybody right especially you know and it's so easy it's so, for yeah, so everybody and, and it, it's it's easier to find people that are, you know, either like-minded or interested or, you know, people you'd be interested in or, you know, have shared interests. So that's – so anybody who says like, hey, imagine me – I couldn't imagine being out there dating again. Well, think about it because, you know, there's I, – I, I think they would – I think they would be surprised how well they would do. Well, it all depends on how much you want to put yourself out there. Right. Um, and I – the- there's like hurdles to get to that point too. So like even if you willingly, like even the person is like, oh god, I'm so ready to be so ready to get back out there. Uh, if you're saying that directly after a relationship, even if you were unhappy, you still have this interim period, I think. And again, it's generalization, but where you're like, fuck, that kind of sucked, or man, I can't mm-hmm. stop thinking about Karen or whatever. So it's oh, like, Karen. sure, I know, fucking Karen. Oh my so god, many so ruinings. hot. <laughs> With her Chardonnay. Oh, yeah. oh god. <laughs> 
I, all I knew, I will never drink Chardonnay. If you ever see me drinking Chardonnay, I've been drugged. And, <laughs> and not by the Chardonnay. Correct. Exactly. There's been, there's been a problem. Uh, this the Body snatchers have, have come to get me. Stepford wives have integrated me. It's a whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, that that depending on whether you're in a relationship or not to be happy is is a whole I mean, you can get a Ph.D. on that. But one of my favorite lines of all time was a, a, a girl that I worked with uh, when I was a bartender who were still friends to this day, <clears throat> got out of a relationship. And about six months later, um, they were they were both accountants. They were working for different companies. And I think they got put on a project together. Um, and she asked him, like, are you going to be OK working together or, you know, is it going to, are you going to have a hard time? And his response was, well, I had my hard time while we were still together. So I'm okay now. <laughs> wow. And she was like, okay. And then they just, <laughs> she was like, why do I do this to myself? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. But I, I kind of feel I, like if somebody said like, Hey man, I'm really, are you having a hard time now that you're single? I'd be like, no, I had my hard time when I wasn't single. And I can understand that. I can. Uh, my second boyfriend, um, we broke up a hundred times. He kicked me out of the apartment 25 times. Wow. And we even broke up for like three months and I went crawling back. One time after we had we had been officially broken up, I entertained going back to him a year later. Because there was an emotional attachment mm -hmm. to the dysfunction. Um, what was my point in mentioning it? <laughs> just wanted to tell you, like, all oh, just things. yeah, we were talking about having a hard time while you are. Um, um, oh yeah, while so you are together. By the time we finally, thank you. By the time we, by the time I finally walked out the door, I had said to myself prior, if he breaks up with me one more time, I'm done. But I. I had to get to the point. Like, and I was always seeking advice from my brother or my dad. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And, and, he, and, and eventually my brother said, at, at a certain point, you will be done. And hope, right. hopefully it happens before he hits you or something. And honestly, the last day I walked out is when he did push, push me. And so I was like, oh, that's even more reason to never come back. Um, but I don't think I – I know I couldn't have left him sooner because I wasn't ready to leave him yet. Right. Despite how hard it was. But by the time I walked away, it sucked, but I didn't want to go back. And, and it, so, like, the hardest part was over, and I went through it with him, if that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but, it, I mean, it's a process that you have to get through. And I've, you know, I've always sort of, you know, kind of ridden these relationship waves until they crash without mm -hmm. saying, you know, it would really be smart to in the relationship now because I see this isn't going well. And, you know, the logical thing to do is just end it. Nope. I just wait for it to just shatter right. and then just kind of pick up the pieces and get on my way. I, I think this is the one Dane Cook joke that he didn't steal, or maybe he did steal it where he's like, I love meeting someone who I hate and I start dating them. And I'm like, Oh, you know, let's, let's, let's let this go on for another year and, and until we hate each other or something like that. Uh, I even butchered a really bad Dane joke, Dane Cook joke. Um, because, I don't know, apparently he stole all the jokes from Steve Martin. Are you watching Only Murders in the Building? I am, but not season two yet. I've just oh. finished season one. God, Mike, 
go now. That whole that <laughs> okay. whole little TV show is about generations, kind of too. It really, uh, yeah, it's and it's very well done. Oh God, I think Martin Short should get the Emmy, but that's just me. Um, I digress from. I literally have I have n- nothing tethering me to the ground with my thoughts right now. So that's okay. Um, well, well, here's why I think having you on this week for you don't know Nick was exciting on top of like just wanting to do this eventually with you anyway we don't have an episode of our show this week and it's been a while since we haven't had an episode of our show that's true so we started this sometime around last november and we had 26 episodes to cover before what we thought was going to be a march 10th release date that that got slid to june 2nd i think um but yeah we had we have done 40 shows in something like the last six months, um, which has been a ton, Uh, a lot of work, a lot of prep and uh, getting to see you once or once or twice a week. So it's kind of nice that uh, that you asked me to come on here so we could do this uh, because I do enjoy our our talk so much. Yeah, I think immediately we got along, which I wasn't worried about, but I didn't know you from Adam and um, and I'm amenable in general. Um, but I don't think I, I don't think it would have gone well if, first of all, John Champion, who cast both of us to do, or hired both of us to do Mission Mission Log the Oroville, is a really great judge of, of people, I think. Like, I, I really, he knows who's good for what. I call him a conduit, and I probably told you that before, but he, he knows, he knows when he has an opportunity who to put in that slot, and, and he'll get the best results out of that. Um, so he's always going to be a good judge of character. So if John Champion, Champion goes, you should meet this person. I'm like, you're probably right. Um, but uh, but really, I think we worked so well together because we both were open to learning what the other had to offer. Yeah, you know, and it just kind of comes down to that that philosophy of, you know, do I want to talk or do I want to listen? Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think I think you and I struck the perfect balance of that. Um, because I desperately want to hear what you have to say and what you think, because no, I do, uh, because that, that, uh, will give me an opportunity to, to learn, um, a different or maybe another or a better, or just at least get a different perspective from somebody else, um, that I can then use. And then that can help me create, uh, you know, a more complete picture of how things really are. And, you know, one of the best things that I've ever heard, um, was, you know, about a year ago when they were doing the, the quoting Gene Roddenberry mm. series uh, was when um, they covered the quote where Gene said, you disagree with me? That's great. Let's sit down and talk about it uh, because then you know you're going to learn something. I mean, it's great to have people that think the same way you do and just get in that echo chamber and, you know, bounce ideas back and forth on each other. It's kind of comical at sometimes too. Like if you're the third person witnessing this, um, but I would, I'm more interested in, you know, getting different perspectives on things. The only way you're going to see the big picture is to get different perspectives, right? Cause you can't see everything from one place. You got to go to, you know, different points of view, different vantage points and kind of put all those pieces together. And if you can do that, and you can do your best to understand those different vantage points. Then you can see the big picture. Now you really understand what's going on. And that's why I enjoy talking to you and, and getting a chance to, you know, chat with people that do have different opinions. I, I mean, it's evident in the way 
you approach all the stuff because we were asked, you know what, dive deep into the things that this these episodes make you think. And um, I, I remember one of the early pieces of feedback we got from listeners was Jessica needs to shut up and let Mike finish the <laughs> sentence. And it, that was triggering because that's definitely my biggest challenge is because I go, oh, my God, I want to say this thing. I'm, the thing you're saying right now is making me think about the thing I I think about. But we did we did get there. If I got there eventually with let me slow down and listen and think about and, and what they're it's saying. Not, that was not your fault because I will just sort of stop talking for an extended period of time while I'm trying to like, re, you know, come up with an idea or or, or get or get whatever's oh, rattling around so. in my brain out of my mouth um oh, you know, I, the, I don't think the, you should take the all the pinballs bouncing around my brain have to find a way out the mouth hole sometimes that takes a little while and you're just gonna fill in the dead air that's all that was happening well <laughs> probably less so than that but i will take it i i had a friend tell me a very good friend of mine um, we were stuck in traffic on the PCH for some reason. Oh, probably because – so we would do theater in Ventura County, which is mostly the county north of Los Angeles. So Los Angeles County is gigantic. And so right. we had to go to a different county altogether to do theater. And we loved it. Like community theater was is really – Strong out in Ventura County more so than it is in Los Angeles. There's no community out here um, unless you're doing fringe. But I digress. So we're on this. PCH was one way to get up there. Like we might go to lunch at like the Crab Shack or whatever. And then, you know, one hour to the Crab Shack and then go back to Camarillo mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, we, we actually did it. Our theater was at the airport. Oh, no yeah. way. Yeah. So it was at the little Camarillo airport. Right by the outlets, off of the 101 in Las Posas. Um, and one day, he, he's very, he he doesn't pontificate. He He's very thoughtful. You two share a lot of the same introspection. And he's, ve- he, he's a very smart person. I learned from him so much. I loved listening to I loved talking to him. We love talking to each other. And he would be saying something, and I would finish the sentence. And then he would say something, and, I, and I'd be like, oh, um, Jubilee, you know, uh, oh, like, you know, like I'd be on the same wavelength as him. And it, it was like, you know, we finished each other's sandwiches, essentially, right? Like um, I, I would be really good <laughs> at getting the noun, adjective, verb or sentence phrase that he was grasping for in the moment. Or and even if he wasn't grasping for it, I had it in my mind. I'm like, oh, yeah. And, and nine times out of ten, I would say I'm pretty accurate. Right. Like I'm sure I did it to Seth MacFarlane when we interviewed him. I was like, "Oh yeah, b- b- buoyant. That's what that's the word you're looking for, or whatever." <laughs> like, and I and all of a sudden I turned to him and I said, "Brian, is it is it annoying when I do that?" And he goes, "Jessica, if you weren't almost always right, it would be." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was. I realized that maybe it's not. The, <sighs> let's fast forward to having a conversation with. My friend Laurie, who I talk about her all the time on the podcast, um, she shared with me a, a test, a quiz. What kind of listener are you? And, you know, are you a, um empathetic listener? There's different kinds. And basically the, the article was getting you to recognize what kind of best listener is the best listener. According to the quiz, I was the best listener. Really? So the best. The best. I was the version of the best. So Good. now 
not a lot of people know this, so they don't think I'm the best listener. But the best listener, to according to this article, study, etc., was someone who listens, engages, looks people in the eye, um, asks questions, clarifying questions, um, will relate, and then ask for a person to go on and and like finishing the sentences or asking for clarification is how I interpreted how I listened. Right. And and matching, right? Physical matching. Somebody yes. kind of leans in, they lean in, they lean back. You kind of you kind of match what they're doing. Yeah. But you know that they're engaged. And I think you finishing their sandwiches <laughs> is a great way to to show that you're engaged. Um how often though in this day and age is somebody just waiting for their turn to talk? Though Me. that that you're <laughs> that that's all you're, I do, Mike. That's all I do is that you're you're trying to get through just just a, a little bit to to say what your perspective is or or or, or relates a little bit of information, and somebody just goes, oh, okay, and then they just completely yes. different, completely different topic, and it's like, what are we doing here? And it happens. It seems to be happening more and more and more. I challenge myself when I'm listening to somebody talk for longer than ten seconds. Can you hear that? I can hear you. Oh, no. There's a cat. He's just, he's going to, Blue is really, Blue is, so I just learned from um, someone posting on Instagram that uh, Russian Blues are very social, and if they don't get enough social attention, they get depressed and anxiety. So I think right now he's feeling pretty high anxiety because he's right on my desk. Otherwise, he would not be. So okay, that's Blue. Okay. That's Blue. Yeah, big old boy Blue is on my desk. So... I, to exactly your point, when you can tell when someone is holding on to an idea about a conversation that about a topic that you brought up five sec five minutes ago, and they're just waiting for their opportunity to talk. Um, Yeah, arms folded, looking down at the ground, or like you can you can feel when people are like, uh, uh, you know, people do sharp intakes of breath, go, oh, you know, like they're waiting for the they're waiting for their opportunity. To jump in. And so a tangent from that is, well, I guess it's not a tangent. I was going to say I, I challenge myself when I feel like I want to say something or I'm holding on to a thought while someone else is talking. I'm like, wait till the person is done talking and see if that's something you still want to share. Like I try to clear the yes. chamber out of my head to be available to what they're actually saying and – as opposed to holding on to, yes, this point that you brought up 10 minutes ago, let me talk about it more. So the tangent I was going to say, which really isn't a tangent, I think the I learned that from improv. Um, one of the one of the first warm-ups that I take new groups through with businesses is um, word association. So if I say a word, you have to say the first word that comes to your mind Mm -hmm. and you can sometimes see people go so if i say quack someone's going uh uh, uh, pigeon like somehow they got from quack to pigeon and to them that made sense or they're trying to be funny or you know because because pigeons don't quack or whatever (laughs) and so we'll go in a circle and we'll go down the line so quack to pigeon to fornication whatever and the, the goal is, like, if someone said quack to me, I would probably say quackers. And then someone, someone would, I would say quackers. And then, you know, what would, what would that immediately make you think? So 
what they don't know is we're going to go start from the top. I'm going to say quack, and we have to do it all over again. You have to remember each word you said for five turns. And when we get to pigeon person, they're not going to remember that they said pigeon right off the because top of their head. Because it wasn't their first Correct. Thought. Correct. And so it's training you to to take your brain out of the situation. And, and don't get me wrong. The other aspect of like what we learned in improv was if, it, if your first thought is blue, take it out of the equation and move on to the second thought. So if you're like, right. whack, I'm like, fucker, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> maybe not that one, you know, but 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 that's a different ver- that's a different thing I would have to train out. Like like what I really appreciate about my improv school was they they really didn't want you to go for the easiest joke, the lowest hanging right. fruit. Uh the lowest hanging nads. But it it may I still even when we're doing our podcast, I still have to catch myself and go let me let him finish the thought. Maybe I have a different opinion. You're gonna and, learn and like I said, there there good. are some dramatic pauses. Sometimes I'm just pausing for <laughs> dramatic effect. Um, so that helps. And then, but one of the first pieces of feedback we got, also along with with uh, you know what you mentioned, uh, was that I was saying ah uh, and um too much. And what I had done previously uh, with other podcasts that I had done, I had heavily edited them myself, so I'd get rid of all of those uhs and ums and kind of non nonverbal uh, sounds or non, you know, verbal meaning sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't uh, really, uh. our, our show was kind of more, had more of a live feel to it. So it just wanted a very light editing touch just to kind of keep the conversation going. And that's where you, I mean, you helped me so much uh, with my ability to just kind of, just kind of power through, right, you know, just, right. just, uh, you know, you stumble, you fumble, uh, but you keep going cause you, you've got this idea and this train of thought and you want to get it out and it doesn't matter if you misspeak a little bit or if you, you know, step on your words or you say some wrong word, you know, scenery instead of scene, what have you, something like that. <laughs> Mike, I, I don't, I guess I have not given you this compliment yet. Uh, you asked me for feedback or advice, so I don't think I gave it to you un- un- unwelcomedly. So, right? Would you say that that's true, or would I? I, I would say I've, I have never gotten unwelcome feedback from you. Right, because I don't want. I never wanted to go into a situation. And go, oh, this fucking guy. Because you didn't Look know. Look at what him, you're... all old and dumb. Right, He's got glasses. Right. And thankfully, I don't think I ever. He's got glasses. What? Um, yeah, no, I can't believe John put me together with you. Um, I, yeah, so I don't think. You definitely, when we first started working together, were like, "Oh, I mean, you're the pro, Jessica. You're the pro." And I, and I don't, I don't think that's ever. I didn't want that. I didn't want mm-hmm. it to be disparate between us because whatever you offered is different than what I offered. But you were open to some of the things. I, I want to, I want to say I'm jealous, but in reality, I'm just so proud of how quickly you took that note and fucking ran with it. It took me so long to learn to be okay with not getting it all right then that right. being part of the charm and you fucking flew with it immediately and integrated it like it, it was always one of your best characteristics because the but, thing but i had you to made learn it make sense i mean what, what you, you said were to me ready was like for if, that you were yeah, ready if for you're, that information if you're in a conversation and you misstate something or stumble on your words like we always do there's no edit button there's no go back 10 seconds there's no you know uh you know, highlight it and right click and delete that part of it. You can't do it. You just have to press on. So once you once you put it in that perspective, I was just like, yeah, I just do what I always do on a normal daily basis. It doesn't matter that we're recording. 
it doesn't matter that we're recording. And people are, there's plenty of people that are talking about mission law, uh, but the Orville. So why are they listening to us? I don't know. That's the same reason Seth MacFarlane wanted to listen to us because we were genuine and authentic. At least that's what I think. I I think you're right. And we are, we have found ourselves in sort of, when I look at people who post about the Orville. Mm -hmm. Which are amazing. Uh, Oh, like the community is amazing. Yeah. And they tag, you know, three or four either podcasts or content creators and and we're in with these, you know, three or four others. I'm just like, wow, this is this is elite company to be in, and it's just extremely flattering. It's a compliment, and it's and it's a it's a it's a compliment that we're. I have no problem accepting. <laughs> Do you know right. what I mean? Like yeah. I I uh, I don't know if I ex- explained the journey that I went through that led up to getting onto the show. Um. But it actually kind of originates around Star Trek Las Vegas this time last year, which we're about right. to go to Star Trek Las Vegas mm-hmm. um, this coming week. If you're listening to the podcast in real time, um, you, you can find us at the Roddenberry stage on on uh, in Bally's for Star Trek Las Vegas if you want to join us. Um, and I, everyone was experiencing workplace work hardships. No matter right. what field you were in, whether you had to go to work because you were a necessary job or you were essential, essential. or you stayed home because you were, you just found out you're not you're essential. You're not essential. Exactly. Everyone was struggling in one way or another. I was struggling from lack of work. Some actors fucking booked throughout the entire pandemic. I booked a lot of personal jobs and I am very grateful mm-hmm. to some people that kept me afloat with like, hey, can you record this for me or can you, are you available for this? Edit that. I, and then Twitch streaming and stuff like that. But it was getting to the point where like things were starting to open up and I wasn't going back out on auditions or I wasn't booking or whatever. And something can happen just no matter how sense no matter how strong your sense of self is in this business, which has to be very strong, by the way. Right. Um I wasn't booking a lot and I was worried that it was dr- because of my personality, because of my presence, because I wasn't actually as funny as I thought I was. Maybe I was more brash than um, less likable. And it's just more because I wasn't getting... That's just you getting in your own head, though, right? I well, mean, 100%. To be honest. Yeah. 100%. And even booking a job doesn't mean I'm those things. Right. So I... I I what I don't need I don't I should not be looking for the booking, ooh, looking for the booking to validate that. But at a certain point, if I'm not getting something from any venue, you start looking for internal sources or external yeah. to- sources. And I would talk to my friend Laurie about it. Like, am I too much this? She goes, Jessica, do you, are you happy? Do you like who you are? Yeah, totally. She's like, well, then follow True North, which is what we were talking to David Goodman about. Um, long story short. Out of nowhere, John Champion, who who he actually was the one person who gave me a job during the pandemic. Please, yeah, because you were doing voiceover for work Sci-Fi with Five. And, yeah, and and did the new station tags, and it was a huge compliment that he thought mm-hmm. of me. So it, again, there was some validation here and there, but like financially, which is also leads to some ex- insecurity. Anyway, this is a podcast where I just get to talk about myself. Long story short, this is helpful for you, I think. He asked me to do Star Trek Las Vegas with him, do the morning show. And it was so good to be in front of an audience again. And good. I mean, it felt so great. It was tough because the audience had to wear masks, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. You can't get a lot of the 
Like we couldn't hear the laughs. That's why we had everyone do kaplaz. Yeah. Because we couldn't hear them. And we didn't meet yet, you and I. But uh, you said that you've like flew in late for a couple of I got in uh, Friday morning, Saturday morning. So I was there Saturday and Sunday. Right. And I think they were Facebooking live the morning show. And right. I think I saw you on there. I don't think we met person to person in Las Vegas. We did not. So I did, though, get to meet Rod. Rodberry. Mm-hmm. And he, right away, he's like, this fucking bitch is cool. I'm definitely <laughs> putting words in his mouth. But like, I well, met- body language, body language is 65% of communication. I, so. and I got it. I got it. A hundred percent, though, right away, I could tell that like, we got along as people. And then it started reminding me, especially with like how well John and I were doing and all the people that I was meeting and how fun it was and how much validated, like how easy these conversations were. You know, you've been in situations like you were this past weekend where it's like, fuck, pulling teeth yeah, to find someone to talk to. Sometimes you feel like you're socially inadequate or socially too adequate, right? right. In this, I felt like I was at like ground zero mm-hmm. with my personality. And that was validating. I was like, oh, that's right. Find the people that you that want to work with you, and then you're in the groove. And that was validated by Rod and I getting along. And then, so I followed that true north. And then fast forward a couple months, and they're like, "Hey, why don't you do this show?" And and then we do this show, and I get to be authentically myself. And even when I was like maybe sharing a little bit too much personal information, I wasn't shamed about that. I was right. I was offered some thoughts about it. I, no one said, mm-hmm. stop being you, Jessica. Here's a thought to consider, though. You right. know, um, long story short, very long story short, the authenticity that I committed to in myself welcomed the opportunities and then started resonating to people from the Orville, to our community. So I finally started getting the validation that I – was afraid I wasn't getting by committing to who I was as opposed to trying to change that. And that's, that is, that's a story that everybody should hear. So I love the fact that you took the time to talk about that uh, because, you know, when in doubt or when things aren't going, going well, yeah, there's, there's opportunities to change and you always want to look inward. Yes. If you can be doing something different and can you grow and those kind of things, but you know, being who you are and and like you said, being true to who you are and knowing um, you know, what, kind of person you want to be, you know, paid off um, rather than trying to be something you're not um, just to get results. So um, I'm so glad to hear you hear you say that you, you stuck to your true north and then good things started to happen to you. Well, I think that, that you fall into that. I think we could have definitely been talking heads that went, oh, the Orville is really great. Can you imagine this? Da, 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 and just mm-hmm. delivered, wrote, easy um, palatable like opinions and right. you and I both didn't you you and I both went came to the table and went ha ah, fuck it let's go and and I think that I'd rather have twenty dedicated listeners that are ready to learn and hear and join that conversation as opposed to seven thousand people just shaking their head and following like sheep yeah and, and we've I mean we got I mean we honestly have a better relationship with the with the creators of the Orville than 
probably any show that covers any other show, I would think. <laughs> and I'll just and I'll just sort of leave it at that. I don't know if because, that's because yeah, who knows? I mean, it, who knows? it's at, at least at least in my immediate sphere of influence. I understood, and it's um, either way, it's a compliment how much yeah. they they are involved with what we are doing. Right when we had you know um, from from the highest level of you know production at the Orville, um, you know, reach out to us. Uh, and 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 want to be on our show, you know. Uh, that was phenomenal. That's what I mean. Uh, like the authenticity, I think, begets that that whole year leading up to, am I fucking good enough? Leads up to being noticed by the right people, right? Our and peers it was, or whatever. And it was, and like I said, it was because we did, you know, what we wanted to do, which is to to dig deep and and talk about talk about the big ideas and whether or not. Um, you know, whether or not they kind of live up to what we aspire to, because I'm always trying to be better, right? I, I want to make better decisions. I want to treat people better. I want to, you know, have better morals. And, you know, I mean, there was a time in my life where I, I don't think I had much of a moral code. It was kind of like, did I get away I mean, with you it? Great. didn't murder people, though. No, I didn't. I didn't murder. I didn't, you know, air quotes, murder okay. people. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, you know, sort of a thing that then, you know, as I go through life, and I want to kind of solidify things and really learn and find out who I am. I want to make sure that I'm, you know, making the kind of decisions that I can be proud of. And I think one of the things I get out of a show like the Orville or other novels that I read or um, just thought experiments is if I'm ever put in a position where I have to make a tough decision, will I be able to make the right decision and do the right thing, even if it's the hard thing? And that was kind of the lens that I looked at the show through. Doing the hard thing is always going to pay off eventually. Mike, if someone were to ask you 10, well, hmm, I have like two different questions, but I think I can ask it in a different way. What is your major dream for your life? I would like both of my kids to be happy, comfortable, fulfilled, and fully realized individuals that are just living their best life. If I if I can help make that happen, or just help uh, set the stage for them to make that happen, clear some obstacles to help make that happen, I will be uh, I will be a very happy uh, corpse. I, I love that that's your answer. I'm going to call bullshit because I'm asking about your life. Okay. But but I love that that's your answer. And that is true that like parents bleed for their children. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kindly saying bullshit. I want to know about what you want. Yeah. Um, I would want to be in a position where I feel like I've got all the work is behind me for the most part. Um, kids are raised, they're off the books, they're happy and fulfilled. Right. Which is so important. Uh, may, maybe I still have a couple of, a couple of years left where I can, um, continue to grow and evolve where I, even though at that point I'd, I'll be retired, even though I'll be, um, you know, maybe less active in my industry, I can continue as an individual to learn more, to experience more with other people and share their perspectives and just maybe one day to the most 
to the greatest extent possible, understand how we all fit together. Mm. Now that is that is I think somewhat unattainable, mm. but I just I don't want to end up in a situation where my thoughts, my way of life, and how I perceive things just solidify. I want to keep that agility of of thought and being able to continue to evolve through, you know, as long as I have. Um, you know, one of my best friends said, the older you get, the smaller your world gets. Whoa. Um, you stop traveling, right? And then you just kind of stay maybe in your in your state or your neighborhood. And then it gets to the point where you're kind of house ridden. And then you get to the point where you're in a hospice bed and you're just kind of bedridden. Mm. So your, your world just kind of continues to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I just, wow. you know, my goal in life is just to kind of keep beating those walls back, you know, for, for as long as I can. If you wanted, if you could leave the audience with one thought, what would it be? Seek out and talk to folks that are different than you are. Listen to them. Try to get, try to get their perspective on things. You, you, very likely you will never agree with them, (laughs) but it may give you an opportunity to at least hear a different perspective and understand that people with different backgrounds and different uh, thought processes, different ways of thinking uh, have a reason for being why they, why they are the way they are. And at least then maybe you can understand where they're coming from a little bit more. And you may learn something along the way too. I think our echo chamber was really, sounded really good today, don't you think? I love talking to you because it's just like, bam, I say something, you say it, and it's like, yeah, I agree with that. It's so much fun. I, I'm, I'm grateful that we uh, met. I'm grateful that we have many more things ahead of us. I think we're going to get trashed in Vegas. I'm so excited. Samesies. Okay. Probably not trashed, but we're definitely going to have fun. Um, and thanks for being my friend. And thank you. Thanks for being my friend. And thanks for letting me bully my way onto your show. It's the best. It's the, it's the only kind of bully I want. <laughs> All right. Bye, Mike. Bye, Jess. Bye. That does it for this week, Nichols. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of You Don't Know Nick. There are many different ways you can support our podcast. One of them is going to youdon'tknownick.com and finding out all the different places you can listen to our show. You can also follow us on Good Pods, which is basically Instagram for podcasts. Not only can you follow your favorite shows, you can listen to them right there in the app. If you're interested in finding some You Don't Know Nick merch or Jessica Lynn Verde merch, go to subtlegeek.spreadshirt.com. And if you're not already consider becoming a patreon member you can get exclusive swag and early access releases to episodes if we're able to get them to you in a timely manner go to patreon.com slash you don't know nick and if you haven't already leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts see you next week nichols